This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word. And we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. No newbies today. Bunch of veterans. We got Ryan. We got Matt. We got Zach. Guys, we're digging into Second Timothy today. And Ryan, it was actually interesting. You and I were at church this morning mm-hmm. and you had kind of like a, you know, a little bit of a sinus attack or something going on yeah. this week. Weren't feeling well. And you're like, man, I was kind of thinking that you actually use the language. I was thinking about calling in sick to the forging table, um, which wouldn't be the first time that we've had, uh, you know, something last minute kind of befall one of us. It's just kind of the way it goes. But you were like noticeably, visibly giddy about getting into second Timothy and I mean, I have that same feeling. Like I'm always yeah. happy to see you guys and to, to come around the forging table, but like you were jacked and excited. I was, I, I, I messed up. I went golfing, uh, on Thursday for work. Which is always a bad idea because golf is the worst. And I guess I sucked up a whole bunch of like cottonwood or something. And my allergies flared up on Friday. My drive home from St. Louis, I could barely breathe. And then I told my wife though, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get better. Cause I was like, I can't bail on second Timothy. I mean, like this book is fire. It is, and just how different it feels from First Timothy, because guys, if you go all the way to the way back machine, go back to the very first part of this year, this is where we started the forging table. So, and Ryan and Matt, you were, you guys were here uh, as we started and went through that. And th- there's a lot here, and just to kind of set it up and as a way of introduction, it's a pastoral epistle. Paul has several of these. And the, the biggest difference between this letter and the first one is this is another letter that he wrote to his pupil, Timothy, whom he has a tremendous amount of affection and love for but paul is awaiting his death in a roman prison um this letter was likely written during his second roman imprisonment somewhere between 64 and 67 a.d the theme overall is just perseverance for the gospel so perseverance or resilience uh would be a huge uh theme of this entire letter um this is written and i didn't really i don't think i realized this until i was digging into it this time this was written third at like after 30 years of doing ministry because I guess in my head, maybe it's just because I'm kind of stupid. Like I was like, when I read his, I feel like he's, you know, three or four years in the ministry. Every time I read something that Paul's writing and I'm like, no, he was decades in at this point. And yeah. he's on the, the back end of his career. And think about it for all of us, we're relatively early in our careers. But imagine the sage wisdom and advice we get from people that have been doing it for three decades, regardless of the business you're in. Um, <clears throat> he's been abandoned by almost everyone at this point. I talk about this letter quite a bit whenever I speak live because it's like, you think you got a bad? Like Roman prisons were not exactly known for their spa-like qualities, you know, a couple thousand years ago. I actually went into a prison in Rome that was supposedly the the dungeon prison that Paul was in, and it was dank, and it was dark, and it was depressing, and, you know, and that was, they've kind of churched it up now to where it's like more of like a touristy thing to see but he was arrested as part of nero's persecution of the christians and the thing about it is he knows he's going to die like he knows it and some people are like well you know you should have had faith that god may have rescued him but it's like it's almost like god told him you've done it you've done it and it's just moved moved on to comforting now like I'm going to comfort you as you're basically in your last days. But I just want to kind of tee you up uh, for any of you guys, because this is, this is something where it's four chapters, but you can read this as one letter. It's like mm-hmm. one-tenth the size of the letter from Birmingham jail if you're a Martin Luther King Jr. guy. And so what, um, what thoughts do you guys have just about really the overall 
setup of this because it, it just feels just completely different than first Timothy did. I mean, I see it as like, I, it brings me back to MacArthur's ashamed of the gospel. I feel like we're in a time right now where with Nero's persecution and everything that Timothy's becoming ashamed or is afraid to share the gospel because he's afraid of the punishment. He's afraid of the persecution. And, and Paul talks a lot about just becoming, being persecuted. Christ was persecuted. We're going to deal with persecution. Um, and I think it's great for our day now. I mean, us as Christians, we're going to deal with a ton of persecution with uh, our climate today. And it's just a, a sobering letter that how long ago was this? Like thousands of years ago, they're dealing with the same thing, but here they're dealing with death. We're dealing with, you know, I might lose my job. Yeah, I think, I, said something. I think this kind of similar to, to Peter talking about being prepared um, and, and the, the Greek word that's used there, I'm not going to try to say it, but it, it a lot of the translations are gird your loins and be prepared to, right. which like an action word, like be prepared because persecution is, is a promise to us as Christians, right? So like, it's not just maybe, it's probably because you're at odds with the world. And so, yeah, I think that that's, he's speaking right to that in this letter. But another thing, this is like different than his first Roman stay, right? So like basically he was on house arrest. Yeah. And here it's like, okay, stark difference. Right. You aren't, you're not just kind of chilling. There's no ankle bracelets and <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can go to the grocery you're store. A, you're at, he's at death's doorstep and that's, man. He knows God. it too. Yeah. Yeah. He knows it. You can just tell in his writing. He's like, it's coming up. It I mean, feels different than, you know, when John was in prison before he was beheaded, it seemed like, you know, the beheading caught everybody by surprise. And, and I would assume we don't know this, but even John the Baptist was, I mean, I don't think he thought he was going to be losing his head that day, but like this, I mean, we don't know exactly how long Paul is basically marinating in this thought that, yeah, this is it. Like, I'm not getting out of here. Well, it's really practical in a certain sense. Cause he's like, please bring me my coat. So I don't freeze to death in this prison. Yeah. You know, I think he yeah. definitely knew that things were coming. And then another thing that I thought was interesting kind of with what you're saying is uh, we don't know for sure, but from what I've heard and read about with Timothy, he essentially stayed in Ephesus and then was eventually kind of martyred in his own way or stoned. Uh, so he took what Paul said uh, and followed his example all the way to his death, according to what we, what we think is probable. The, so, the thing about this, this book as well, there are, well, I won't make it so narrow. If you read any part of the Bible, there's going to be something in it that challenges you, that really makes you think. And, you know, there's all kinds of churchy language you can put around it that we've all kind of grown up. But there was one thing in particular that I was challenged by, and it wasn't a particular verse, but right from the beginning of preparing the forging table for 2 Timothy, I wrote this in my notes. Which, by the way, guys, Ryan, I think he's got the same thing. Crossway has like a journal. I don't know if you guys are looking at this, but there's a journal. Like, I don't get paid to say this, by the way. This is not an advertisement. But I, I'm the type of guy that I can't stand writing in a, in a Bible. Like, you know, Matt, you've got writing in your Bible. Like some people like really crease their stuff up and they, they highlight stuff. Even textbooks back in college, I couldn't do it. It was like I had to like do something different. And so this, they have each individual book of the Bible and there's the scripture on the left and then just open journaling pages on the right and in the back. And it's the entire Bible. <clears throat> there's a, you can get it way cheaper than uh, Amazon. What was that? What was the name of that website? We we're looking at ChristianBooks.com. Christian yeah, ChristianBooks.com. You can buy the Old Testament as a set and the New Testament as a set. So anyway, there, commercial over. Again, non-paid commercial, guys. Yeah. Don't get the wrong idea. But I wrote in my journal, who is your Timothy? And I just sat there and thought about it because it's like, you know, we're all in our 30s. 
and we, we're not normally thinking about who's, uh, who we're pouring into. We're always thinking about who's pouring into us. You know, you and I got our MBAs. You just finished your MBA. You're worried about, okay, who's, who's in business that can really pour into me at this time? You know, when you're growing businesses, whether you're in personalized sales or really kind of running operations for an organization, you're like, okay, who's done this maybe 10 years, 15 years ahead of me and can kind of help me miss some yeah. things. And we're always thinking about it that way. At least I'll speak for me. And then I just, just like, who's the younger man that you're pouring wisdom and encouragement into? Like for me, is there a kid out there? And there's been a few that have reached out 18 years old, want to start a podcast, want to, you know, grow in wisdom so that they can lead and, you know, prophesy into this, you know, degraded culture that we have. And I did not have a great answer to that, guys. Who is your Timothy? Because I basically don't have one. I could cheat and say, well, James and Elijah, my sons. But at the same time, it's like, there's not somebody that's not blood tied to me that I'm pouring into. And that was... That was kind of a gut punch a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, that's it, man. That's a good question. I have to say that Matt Grassmeyer is my Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all are sitting very close to one another, enough yes. to where you can like physically walk each other through this, yeah. uh, this pupil, pupy. Is yeah. it pupy? Yeah. We're going to say sounds, it. This there, sounds were, there was sarcasm gross. in that. Sorry, buddy. No, no. <laughs> Matt's older than you, too. That's the other thing. Are you is, older he than is me? your elder. Uh, How old's Matt? Hey. 39. 39? I was a Timothy for a guy who was like 26. Like he poured into me and I'm 38. Yeah, I think so, we can yeah. we can get hung up on age for sure. Right, that's true. Yeah. So it doesn't doesn't have to be somebody that's older. Typically it is, but. Well, Zach, I wonder like even for you, because you're the youngest Christian here, not by, you know, in terms of age of how long you've been on this earth, but in terms of identifying as a Christian, identifying. Here we are. I'm <laughs> using the stupid language of culture. It's rubbing <laughs> off on me. I identify as a Christian, but like you're you haven't been a Christian for very long. And I wonder what it looks like from you. Cause you're kind of looking at it from an outside perspective. Like, because what we're describing guys is discipleship. Yeah. Like ultimately, would you agree with the use of that word? So yeah. like, who are we discipling? And I remember years ago, I was like, I want to find a spiritual mentor. I've never had a spiritual mentor. Every guy that said he was going to be one ended up not following through. And I always had this like old gray haired, you know, gritty, you know, guy at the end of his life, like in mind, and I just ignored anyone that was like within 10 years my age. Cause I was like, ah, they're not old enough, but it's like, that doesn't mean they don't have wisdom, but I'm just, I'm curious from your yeah, perspective. I mean, I'll definitely go to start with the easy button, which is my son, no question. And that's, that's super intentional. Um, so you know, that's one you do daily. Um, I think in a, there's definitely a professional capacity to that for me, you know, in terms of some of the, the leaders and stuff that I work around, um, you know, trying to, emphasize certain things in, in certain ways. Um, and I think more than anything over the last three or four years, it's been paying attention to those that have led me and trying to pass that along. So I think it's a good question. I don't think I have like a, this is my Timothy type example, but I think it's something that we all need to be paying attention to. Uh, very similar, uh, you know, I watched this deal with Alistair Begg and he talked about this and so much of it was about passing this on to the next generation. So in a sense, I think it's definitely big to hand that down to somebody that's younger than you to ensure that it's being perpetuated. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where we have to step up as men in our church and we need to start volunteering in youth. I mean, that's the one thing that I, I, I did before. I wish I would have taken it seriously like I did, like I would do now. But I mean, we're in a season where we got young kids and sometimes it's hard to do, but really like my heart's desire is to pour into the youth. If we can pour into the youth and disciple them and then maybe we, you know, as we disciple our, ourselves through our ABFs. But, um, but yeah, I think that I is think, adult Bible fellowship for yeah, everyone sorry. else on the planet that calls it Sunday school. Our community I have no group. idea I mean, whatever why our church call calls them that. 
Hey, if, yeah. God, if send, send a message to me. If anyone else calls their Sunday school something that doesn't mean anything, like ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, yeah. just send it out. Let us know so all the other weird now. names. Yeah, we're just, it's like old hat to us. Um, as we dig into this letter, because there's more to be said just about kind of what, what tees up this letter. But uh, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind, read verses 5, 6, and 7, because I think that's a good place for us to start. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Uh, that's, yeah, that's the beginning. <laughs> what, oh. what happened? Where, where am I at? Were you, you buffering? Said, yeah, you, you say know, five? No, five, six, and seven, but you, bu- oh, you buffered there for a second. I did. And, you know, Matt over here, he, he couldn't hold himself. He couldn't oh, hold himself I'm together. Trying to, I'm trying to find it. I did my... Oh my gosh, again. you highlighted everything. I didn't highlight That's it wasted. All. It's wasted. Uh, no, it's Matt, not. I can Matt, do it. No, 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 no. Ryan, you have been fired. No. You need at least a 10 minute this. break from reading out you have to loud. Let me do this or I'm going to get mad. Oh, you're going you're gonna to be resilient be, and be get resilient. through it? Okay, yes. five, six, and seven. Matt, five, hold six, it together. Five, six, and seven. Matt. First Timothy, right? First, no. Or second, second Timothy. Timothy. <laughs> Chapter one. Okay, that's two strikes. Here we go. We've done this before. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that's dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwelt. Eunice. Eunice. Sorry, Joby. All right. Sorry, Joby. Keep going. <laughs> I try to church it up. <laughs> Eunice. Eunice. I am sure dwell, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I'm reminded you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on my hands, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So verse seven there. That's been printed on like teen Bibles and, oh, yeah. you know, all those types. I think that was my first Bible case I had, had that scripture yeah. on there. Like we don't have a spirit of fear and all that. But what struck me is in the ESV, it's called, I remind you to fan into flame. So we don't know this to be, spe- you know, specifically it's not stated here in the text, but perhaps Timothy wasn't being as, f- being as forceful as he should have been with his delivery of the gospel. And as I dug into some of my commentaries, I got that sense that he was maybe holding back a little bit. And so uh, I first I wanted to kind of start there. Did y'all kind of get that same sense? Because I've read this before and I didn't really get that. But it seems like, you know, in his latter days, Paul's like, look, now's not the time to, you know, take it down or to calibrate. It's like we got to go. Let's ramp it up. Yeah. He knows he's not long for this world. And so he doesn't have a lot of time. And What's left unsaid is left unsaid. And so I think he's, yeah, he's, un, he's, he's not satisfied with how Timothy is, is being faithful or is being unfaithful. And so, yeah, he's, he knows I'm, I'm gone soon, so I, I got to get this out. And you see that with, with a lot of historical figures when they approach their deathbed, their, their filter kind of turns off. And I think that's what you're seeing here with Paul. He's like, man, I got to say this. So he's coming after it. I think he's also just like, giving him a charge, man. It's like, I think Timothy's afraid at this time. He's like, you know, who knows what's going to happen to me? I mean, at this time they're burning Christians for light down the roads. Yeah. And so he's probably like holding back a little bit because he's scared. And so now Paul's saying like, Hey, don't fear, don't fear the gospel. And then if we go through here and he's like, don't, don't fear persecution because our Lord was persecuted. I think that's really hard for us to wrap our heads around as American Christians, because persecution to us is like, well, that guy disagreed with me or like, we don't have that same level, uh, where they do in, you know, let's say China or, you know, where, where it's illegal to have a Bible we don't experience that. So I think, I think it can be hard for us to grasp. Why would he be afraid? Just talking about Jesus. That's easy, right? (laughs) Do we think that's why, well, I mean, this of all the obvious 
questions that have answers. I'm going to throw this out there. Do we think that's why the church is suffering in the West? Because it is so convenient. We all have a stack of Bibles. We don't have a portion of the Bible that we have to keep hidden in our house, you know, lest we get the death penalty or something like that. I feel like, and also how many of us have had to pray, give us this day, our daily bread in this country. There are hungry people in America, but per capita, it's, it's nothing like the rest of the world because we are the richest country currently in existence. And so I feel like it's at the same time, it's like you, you want to have that further dependence on the Bible and on God. But at the same time, most people don't want to choose. They don't opt for suffering. And most people don't live a life like that. Like we, we want things to be easy. We want it to be convenient. I think here in the West, where we're going to suffer, we're going to suffer in truth. And that's where we're going to suffer. We're going to hold to the truth and what biblical truth is and the way that our climate is going nowadays. We are going to suffer through persecution that way. Whether it's loss of jobs, loss of uh, friends, however you want to look at it. It's not going to be give us this day our daily bread. It could be. could be give us this day our daily bread when we lose our job because we stick to truth. Um, so it, it's, time will only tell, but as, as you read this book and you read this letter to Timothy, I mean, it's just showing what happens once you become ashamed of the gospel. Well, I think, honestly, this is, this is definitely one for me that I've been grappling with quite a bit. I mean, first of all, I, I think it's great that he points towards somebody besides himself that's very personal to Timothy, his grandmother and his mom as examples. I think you can kind of calibrate your current perceptions against. And I've got, like my grandmother, for instance, was probably the number one reasons that I came to Christ eventually because she was that rock-solid example in my life. No question. So that really jumped out to me. But to reconcile not having fear, this, this verse that's been printed on everything, um, with the fact that you're going to go into all of these very difficult circumstances that are kind of unknown. I mean, honestly, that's, that's one of the more difficult things that I've been grappling with recently is trying to figure out you know, how to contend with both of those things at the same time. And as I said, I mean, Timothy eventually went into kind of the ultimate sacrifice, I think, for, for these purposes. So in, in your life today, I think it's easy to think, you know, what could be happening if I really lean into this? Uh, but it's saying, don't, don't be fearful. That's, that's not what we are. I, I think it's kind of funny when you look at this verse, like, how do you remember it as a kid? I mean, I remember saying this verse, like, you know, hey, if you're scared, you say, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power love and sound <laughs> mind. Like, yeah. that's, that's what it was. That's yeah. like, that's how the Bible verse is used. But then you look at it in this context. Well, I, th- I think, I think he's kind of hearkening to, is that a word? Um, yeah. Isn't <laughs> sorry, Joby. The Holy, totally, no, it's it totally a word. That's not a okay. sorry, Joby. We uh, only have one so far. The, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you look at, you look at like, what does the Holy Spirit mean? Like, it, it's, it's what, um, I think it's called a paraclete. And in Old Testament times, like a paraclete was in some cases, a family attorney, someone who would stand with you in an hour of need, like someone that would stand beside you and fight on your behalf and with you for something that you needed. And so if you like, I think, I think sometimes we think Holy Spirit is this like kind of woo woo kind of can't really see. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And Jesus literally said, I'm going to send send the Holy Spirit to be with you, a comforter and someone who will stand beside you. And I think that that's a very intentional and powerful use of that language. Like, don't be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit in you, fighting with you on your behalf as you go through life. So as you were describing that, Matt, like I was reminded of learning about kinsmen redeemers from mm-hmm. like the Old Testament, but I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily want to draw that corollary here. But with a paraclete, the, the funny thing about that is I know we mentioned Joby on this podcast quite a bit, but he's taught me 
that word and that expression because he said, you know, back in Bible school or divinity school or whatever, um, <clears throat> when he was going through seminary that he had to use kind of some mnemonic devices to remember these words and their meanings. And he's like, okay, paraclete, like imagine playing football, like in flip-flops, it's like a paraclete kind of keeps you grounded, That's... but it allows you to move, allows you to cut, allows you to speed up and slow down and do all those different things because you're being guided. I mean, we've seen this before guys. If you watch any, especially national championship games or BCS bowls or January first bowls or something like that. New year's bowls. These are like, it's new turf typically. And it's almost always without fail. At some point in the first quarter, the announcers are talking about how the staff on the sideline is frantically changing out cleats because you know, they're not long enough. They're not the right shape and all that. And you see these world-class athletes slipping aside and falling around. It's like, it does not matter how fast you can cut if your cleats aren't any good yeah. or if your cleats don't match the turf you're trying you to do that on. The right equipment, and you know. also wear cleats on the basketball court and see how easily you can cut and jump and all that. And so, no, that, that, that's a great point, Matt. Um, I would also say Zach to, to your point. Okay. So the word fear here, as I was digging in, what I always assumed it was is so you were so fearful that you never got in the fight, right? Cause I've, I've talked about before. I never got in fights growing up cause I was terrified of getting hurt in a fight. Like in, you know, until I started doing some, you know, simulated fighting with jujitsu and kickboxing and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, I'm not made of glass. You know, it, I'm glad I didn't get in a bunch of fist fights as a kid, but you know, it, it's, it's okay. You get punched in the face and you live, but fear here, the word that is used is more like one who flees from battle, which again, I, I might be doing this incorrectly, but it's that they were in the fight and then things got really hot and then they took off. I think that's why. Uh, Paul kind of ends this letter with, I fought the good fight. I stayed the course. And that's why he's trying to tell Timothy. He's trying to provide encouragement and this and rather than admonishment. So he's like, hey, Timothy's in the thick of the fight and the fight's deadly. You know, people are dying and he wants him to keep going and keep going with the truth, with the real gospel. Well, he uses flee a lot of, <laughs> again, in this letter. So there's a time to flee. There are things to flee from, but this is not one of those things to flee from. Like you should be facing forward and back to the the fanning the flames like what a great analogy if you're starting if you're trying to start a fire and it's cold you want to keep the cold out so you have to fan the flame to become bigger and so that the cold becomes less and so if you're not fanning that flame you're gonna get real cold real fast and so i kind of look at that like um steve lawson says we're supposed to be a ship in the water but, or a ship in the ocean, but not take on any water. And so if you're not fanning the flame and that flame is going to go out, that cold or the world, if you want to call it, is going to come in and that's going to cause some real problems because we are at odds with the world. Yeah. Today in church, something kind of sticks out to me as we're having this discussion. He talked about Job. He was actually going through James, but Job came up and he referenced a lot of people talk about the patience of Job, mm-hmm. but he said, really, when you read it, he wasn't that patient. He was just persistent you know, the flame did not go completely out. He, he had to be in the fight. He had to kind of tussle with it and, and, and all that, but it didn't go out. And he talked about, I was trying to remember um, how patience was used. Like, I think it was James five, but patience, the word in English was used like four times within a few verses, Yeah, but it's not all the same in the Greek. And yep. one of those patiences was endurance. So enduring, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and going through, um, which again, just every time I heard that, I was like, oh, resilience, resilience, ability to bounce back and to continue to push through. Um, 
And I guess it's kind of one of those things as well is there's almost like an unspoken admonition here to be wary of self, too much self-confidence to where it's like, that's, that's the problem. You know, whenever I talk through resilience is I don't want people to hear Western American cockiness. I got this. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps because to a degree, there is something to that. God cannot work out for you. God cannot, you know, within reason, he's not going to catechize your family for you. He's not going to read to them at bedtime. Like there's things that you have to be disciplined enough to do. But at the same time, like something like this, that was, that was why, like whenever I spoke at that prison, that was such a big thing for me because for the first time that I spoke, that actually, this actually just hit me just now as I was saying that, that was probably the first time I spoke live where I was like, this one's not on me. I did so many presentations in college. I did so many things for work and so many everything else. And it's like, I always put a ton of pressure on myself and gosh, if, if we don't make this sell or if, or if we don't get people to sign up, like it's on me or, you know, if we don't get investors, whatever. This was that first time where it's like, <clears throat> I, I know what I'm going to say ish. I have an idea of where this is going to go. Holy spirit get after it. Like, I'm just going to open my mouth and we're just going to figure it out. And like that, that's coming through here as well to where it's like, dude, it's not just you. Yeah. Like, I think you were the first person to say this to me, Matt, years ago. It was like, yeah, God can move mountains, but he expects you to bring a shovel. And that's, that's a big deal here because most of us just, I feel like we vacillate between I'm just going to let go and let God, which is really, really stupid, or I'm going to do everything and just hope God blesses it, which is like in some ways equally as stupid. Yeah, that's a difficult dichotomy. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, how many times in your life can you think where you had those circumstances where there's only so much you could do and you kind of had to give it up, you know, give it over to the spirit to help you out, but you still had to walk into it and deal with it, you know, one way or another. I'm reminded of Spurgeon saying every time he got up each step, he would say, you know, Holy Spirit be with me, Holy Spirit. And then he would, and then he would preach. And I, you know, I can think of at least four or five circumstances where that's been the case and, you know, one way or another, it's okay. But putting yourself out there can be difficult, uh, which leads me down another rabbit hole we don't have to get into right Let's now, go. which Let's is go. Uh, how can you discern in some way where you're being led? Do you, do you believe that God directs you through some sort of, you know, voice or anything like that? So if you're really in a position in life where you're trying to determine your next steps, I know you've shared some things recently. How do you read the word and then discern kind of this path you're supposed to go down? I've heard, for instance, Sean McDowell talked a couple of days ago in one of his shorts, and he just said, you know, God can certainly speak to you, you know, still small voice, all those things. But sometimes God just needs you to, you know, move down the path and he's going to help, you know, guide your character development as a result of the decisions that you make. So for those that are looking at a big decision or different things out there, um, that are trying to think, how can I read and pray? And then God told me I should do this. I'm always fearful of assigning God some message that was never meant to be assigned. I mean, mm. where do where do you guys sit on that? I have some thoughts. I, mean, I sit on it as, I mean, I've I've gone through some of this stuff in my life. Um, we, my wife and I moved to Texas like two years ago, and you could say it was a God thing because the doors were open. A lot of doors opened for my job and everything for us to move there but our house never sold. Um, took a while for our house to sell. And I took that job hoping to make more money. And um, that's, I don't think that was God's plan for me, but I did it anyways. But he used it. He yeah. used it in the fact that I found a church that was an expository church. It was a, a church that uh, discipled me into the word that grew me as a Christian. I made, I probably made the same money I made the year before. Um, maybe even less, but I grew spiritually. So I don't think it really matters. Like we can pray and we can talk to God and we, we can read his word and see where to go with that. But 
ultimately we're going to make a decision and God's going to, God's going to do that through his sovereignty. You know? Yeah. I think we can paralyze ourselves thinking like, Oh, I have to hear from God or I have to get a sign or I have to get something. And I think a lot of times it's just do it. Like you, you like do it, do something. And the let go, let God people, I think I, I can't imagine that that is a very good way to live. Like, okay, I'm just going to sit and wait and God's going to do it. That's, I mean, if you haven't, watched or listened to our talk on Nehemiah, like that is clearly not the case. God can do whatever he wants. Like he calls us to be a part of the story. And so we're going to have to put action in there. So we can't just, okay, I'll wait, let God do, do something. Well, I remember hearing years ago, um, I said it as a joke, but I was trying to talk about how certain people pray and how they hear from God. And he, I was talking to this guy and I was like, I use that as an example. I was like, imagine if your wife was sitting there in the driveway in her car wondering, oh, should I go to Taco Bell today for lunch or should I go to Arby's? And I was saying it to be funny. And he goes, no, that's, that's exactly how my wife gets through every single day. And I was like, floor, I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, I mean, she will not go anywhere, go on a walk drive to this store as opposed to that store without being like in constant communication with God. And immediately I was like, Oh my gosh, I just eat where I feel like, am I going to hell? Like, is this like, it was just this thing like, Oh, is she doing it right? And I'm, I was, I'm not saying that now to be funny, but I was just like, I didn't have that type of relationship, but the way she felt about it was what if she felt like tacos that day, but there was somebody that at Arby's that needed mm-hmm. ministry and she did, she wanted to be sensitive to the call. And not like, hey, this is where I'm going. God bless me on the way. And, you know, let me know if there's anything I do for you. <laughs> it was like, no, 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 I want to be ahead of the game a little bit. And so, Zach, to, to your question, I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know what the best way. I would assume there's not a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. way of doing yeah. that. But even, Matt, you bring up Nehemiah. <clears throat> and, Ryan, you and I have talked about this. But I'm, Nehemiah was so prayerful throughout the entire time. I doubt he was doing that with every decision he had to make as yeah. governor. And as, as the leader of this area, but he knew kind of the, the column that he needed to stay in to where here's 360 degree directions. You can go, here's like 10 degrees worth of direction. And so as long as you kind of stay in between those lines, you're going to end up, you know, pretty good. You're going to be over the target at some point. Whereas if you're just throwing the compass out the window and just flying. It's like, it's probably going to be a problem. I, I know it, we, I know we need to get back to this too, but like to your point, that's kind of where I ultimately went with that was the Nehemiah discussion, which is he prayed and he got back to work. Yeah. Right. God's glory is going to come out no matter what. Yeah. Mm, amen. I mean, God's, God's going to be glorified. So whether you screw up or you don't, you know, or you good things happen, glory is going to be on him. Well, I'm reminded of a story that my dad used to say, he used to tell us, um, and this is kind of to what you're talking about, let, let go and let God, where a guy, he's, there's a flood coming and he cries out to God, save me. And then, you know, a truck drives by and he goes, no, 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 God's going to save me. And then, you know, a boat, the water rises, house is underwater, boat, boat comes by. Hey, we got some room on the boat. He's like, no, God's going to save me. And then he's up on the top of his house, about to be covered. Helicopter comes by. No, God's going to save me. Then he dies. He gets to heaven. He said, God, I thought you were going to save me. He's like, I sent a truck and I sent a boat. (laughs) Then I sent a helicopter. And it's like, what were you wanting? Yeah. Like what, like what else did you want? And I think we get, we can get, not, we can't, we do, but we can get so caught up in this like miraculous, like over the top thing that God's going to send our way when it's a truck, get in the truck. Well, here's, here's another thing. As you say that, 
again, we've watched too many movies and television shows where we think everything yeah. has to be the dramatic mm-hmm. story. So two things that that's done for me. Number one, I don't think my witness is cool enough. Because I know guys that used to be like gangbangers yeah. and that yeah, are we've now talked Christians. about that on this show, right? for sure. I used to know guys that, you know, were, you know, atheistic, borderline satanic, you know, spec ops guys killing people and enjoying it. And then God gets a hold of them. And so it's like, well, I don't have their story. So my story isn't anything special. And so we diminish ourselves. But another thing I thought about is, and here we're completely off in the weeds now, but <laughs> so as everyone knows, and you're kind of listening to this in the future, I've had a lot of vocal cord problems. I'm in the process of, you know, recovering from a second vocal cord surgery, trying to rebuild my voice, doing everything I can. Someone threw this out there to me and I wanted to be offended by it, but it was potentially true. And he said, what if you've already said all the things that God needed you to say? He's like, you got close to 500 episodes out there. You've spoken live quite a bit. You've, you've taught some groups. You've taught adult Bible fellowships. You, you've done your thing. What makes you think you, that the next 30 years of your career is going to be behind a microphone? And I, but again, we think in terms of career track, mm-hmm. right? Some people at this table have some business things coming up to where it's going to be, oh, I'm going this way. <laughs> Maybe need to go this way, right? Completely different field. This isn't what I thought for myself. I got my MBA with oil and gas in mind, and I work in oil and gas. And so it's like, that's something to reckon with here to where it's like, God's going to do what he wants. God's going to, even if we make the wrong decision, he's going to point us in the right direction. And we get to choose whether or not we go down that direction or not, but he's going to at least guide us that way. But then does that mean, like with me in the show, is it like, I was thinking like, oh, this is what I'm going to do until they put me in a pine box. But it's like, what if that's it? Like, what if, what if I've kind of like been completely, you know, wrung out for his purpose? What if that's already been met? So it's kind of a, you know, for me, it's a macabre thing. Uh, well, you're to, post-surgery to and you're talking right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently post-surgery and talking, but yeah, it's. It's I, like, I can't project my voice. I can't talk with that, that energy and that, you know, force that I'm used to, but I, I does that make sense? That, yeah, that makes sense. But I think the call is just to keep going and just keep, keep, keep at it. Keep pursuing holiness, keep pursuing Christ because that's what matters. And like Paul says here, therefore, and some translations translate that to be for this reason. Like he's talking about because God has not given us of spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control for this reason, keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a keep going specifically here. Now he'll get into spe- specifics, but it is a keep going, just keep going. God, like if you're still alive, God is using you for some purpose. Can he use our shame as well? Or here, actually, uh, Matt, if you can read uh, it's a decent sized chunk, but I think you're up to the task. If you'll read eight through 14, I mean, this is really kind of the meat uh, of this whole section, but there's kind of this overwhelming s- discussion of shame and how it could you know, affect us. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been given, <clears throat> has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. 
but I am not ashamed for I know whom I, whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There is so much there, and I know you guys did your homework, so whatever you want to break down inside that section, the first thing that I want to kind of go into that section is he talked about, do not be ashamed. So he starts out, therefore do not be ashamed in verse 8. Then we get to verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Because the reality is, is if you are ashamed of the message of the gospel, you are ashamed of the source of the gospel, Christ or the the triune God in, in general. It reminds me of that conversation you had with the uh, Eugenia Constantino. 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 Oh, Eugenia Constantino. Constantino. Yeah, she let me call her Jeannie. Yeah, next level. You can't call her Jeannie, right? <laughs> I can't. Call her. <laughs> you call her Mrs. Eugenia yeah, Constantino. I'm, I'm going to call her doctor. professor. Do- doctor. doctor. I'm just going to call her doctor. Yeah. Sorry. She Jenny. was great, by the okay. way. I, I really fantastic. enjoyed that uh, conversation you guys had. Um, when she talked about the uh, the death of Christ and talking about being ashamed, like, Christ died as like a robber, like he was scourged and he was crucified. And so that brought a lot of shame on people, Mm. you know, uh, in that time. And so if you think about it, like, hey, we're going to talk about this guy being our resurrected savior. And you go into somebody who's like, did that guy get crucified? You know, like there was there's probably some sort of shame in in how Christ was crucified. That's the thing about that book, which Zach here to my right is the reason why any of us have read that book, because he's the one that that found it. But uh, the crucifixion of the King of Glory by Dr. Eugenia Constantino, she like, it never occurred to me that scourging and the, the one dignity the Romans gave to Jesus is they didn't crucify him naked. Yeah. Because that was against Jewish custom and, you know, I, I, the words escaping me, but they didn't want, you know, public displays of any profane type thing. And so basically you couldn't show, you know, your private sexual parts in, in public. But that was the only dignity they did to him. And it was because they had to give him the maximum level of shameful death possible. In addition to pain, which she goes into stark detail about every last bit of pain from the, the, what the crown of thorns would have done to the nerve endings that were around the forehead to the scourging and all kinds of different things. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a big deal. Look at that, the shame of Christ. And then you're the guy that you're listening to and talking to is in Roman prison. So that's like me being like, yeah, this guy who I'm really getting all my stuff from is a, is in a county, yeah. you know? And so right. I think that's one thing that you, you, we had to drive from this is like, one, you got to know the context of what's going on at this time and why he's in prison. Um, we have to know the context of Christ, but at this time, these people would look upon that as shame. And so, you know, there has to be some sort of chutzpah in your, in your, in your talk of the gospel. There, there is, in. there is on yeah. repeat. A in throughout the the Bible, a theme of uh, perseverance and not going back to what is comfortable or what seems comfortable or not giving in to what the world says you should do. And you know, even in the in in Isaiah, uh, the Israelites are wanting to go back. They're wanting to to strike up a a partnership with Egypt, and God is he he has forbidden that. In the Mosaic law, he has literally said, do not go back to Egypt. I, I, I called you out of Egypt and they're still going, well, we want to go back. And it's, it's not, it's not Egypt necessarily. It, Egypt happened to be the, the comfort. And even as they're, you know, as they're coming out in the desert, they're like, well, we don't have any food. We'd, we'd rather go back to Egypt, even though we were slaves, at least we got to eat. 
And so there's this call to persevere, and it's through the entire Bible. Like the world says, do this, and there's lots of things that look tempting, but persevere because what is on the other side is way more valuable, is way better than anything that you can look at in the world. And I mean, even in Second Timothy, there's that call, persevere. One thing I would say is, I know we have a tendency to read this from our own perspective, but given that this is a pastoral letter, you know, recently I've heard about some different pastors that we know that have gone on sabbatical, which reminds me of some conversations that you should appreciate, you know, the pastors that you have and the reasons they go on sabbatical and all the different weight and baggage that they carry on the side, regardless of if they're the one in the pulpit preaching to you or not. So can certainly appreciate what he's trying to, to pass along. I'm going to read one thing here. Just one note. This is from Wearsby. Uh, it's, it's for verse one through nine. It says, we are part of a great eternal plan that God determined before time began. God knows that the end from the, be- from the beginning, he has purposes for his people to accomplish for his glory. Suffering is a part of his plan. Jesus Christ suffered in the will of God here on earth, and all those who trust in him will also suffer. It is his purposes that we are to fulfill. And if these purposes include suffering, then we can accept it by faith and know that God's will is best. This is not fatalism. It is confidence in the wise plan of our gracious heavenly father. So I think that kind of highlights first for me, it was kind of going to the fact that these pastors are going to be right in the middle of that. You know, you could imagine what kind of emails that they're getting and deals that they're having to work through, but then how we deal with it, you know, it's laying out what you may have to go through and then it's calling you to not be fearful and walk through it. And also, there's an admonition here as well. So in, in verse 12, the, the word that sticks out to me is guard. Mm. Guard until that day, <clears throat> excuse me, what has been entrusted to me. So guard being, you've been given sound doctrine. You've been given uh, great t- wisdom and teaching. You've been given a mentor. You've, been, you're, you've got the Holy Spirit. And you need to guard this stuff. And we'll get into later. I think it's uh, chapter three of Second Timothy, where we get to people that get to this point where they just want to have their ears tickled, and there's no guarding of sound doctrine in a church that likes to tickle ears and to make people feel good and to make them feel as if, yeah, sin and death and crucifixion, yeah, and all that, but God's for you, and He just He wants this for you, and He wants you to be your best self, and like that type of you know moral therapeutic deism not in here. type of oh no no yeah if i think if you dig in there it's not that's not going to be the story that you get from the bible i think it's pretty uh, one thing that really stood out to me was uh 13 follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and in love that are in christ jesus how many times do we walk into those churches that are trying to cause division based upon word because they're saying, Oh, Hey, well this in Greek means this differently, or this means this, you know, and it's just like, they're trying to cause division that way. It's like, follow the pattern people. Like this word may look like anyone in Greek, but why does he bring up husbands? Why does he bring up wives? You know, and it's nobody, he says it right there in his word. And we'll get into that in two too, about like, what are stupid arguments? You know, like these people come in and they just bring stupid arguments. But I think the the real thing that I want to take away from this is I'm reminded of a Spurgeon quote. I'm not responsible for the souls that are saved, but I'm responsible for the gospel and the way that it's preached. And that's what it comes down to. We're not responsible for the souls that are saved. We're responsible for the gospel that we preach. And if we preach it correctly and we preach it right, and that's what he's instilling in Timothy right now. You know it. I know it. You know what's true. I know what's true. 
do it right and don't be afraid. Well, and I think uh, what you're bringing up, Ryan, and, and this is not going to be the last time we mentioned this in our discussion of Second Timothy, a lot of people are using the, but did God actually say? Yep. Well, I mean, is that mm-hmm. the first lie that's recorded in Scripture? Yeah. I, you know, whenever Satan in the garden, did God actually say yeah. to not eat of the fruit of the tree? Or Jesus never said that. Right. And, you know, that reminds me, you know, Carl Lentz is on The View. You know, Jesus never talked about homosexuality directly, so we're not going to do it from the pulpit. It's like weird because he did. Talk about marriage. Yeah, because when Matthew he was 19. speaking ancient, <laughs> you know, uh, Galilean, Aramaic or whatever, uh, he was using words and it was recorded in the Greek. Uh, porneia, sexual immorality included in that would have been homosexuality. It would have been easily understood by everybody in the first century. But then you got the other people that like to mince words. They'll say porneia means temple sexuality, having sex within the temple. But even even if you extrapolate that out, and let's just for the sake of argument say that that's true and he never he never actually said anything about that, like he kind of encompasses all of that when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments was he talking about? His commandments is all through the Old Testament. His commandments. Right. So like his moral he law. Did, he did speak, even if he never said a word about it, because there's some things that he doesn't specifically talk about, but he does say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that, like, that's a pretty specific call. Yeah. Because so. he wasn't referring to, oh, the stuff that Matthew's written down up to this point. Yeah. In, in my public ministry, he was yeah. obviously talking about the law that he, he came to fulfill. Yeah. Um, and guys, there really is a whole lot more to Second Timothy 1. But Second Timothy 2, there's, there's so much there. And again, we read this like modern Christians that have the Bible that's broken up. This is a letter, mm-hmm. right? It's been broken up in chapter and verse to make it easier for us. But there really is a lot that I want to discuss in, in the second one. So guys, we're going to give you a little bit of a reprieve this week, but make sure you come back next week <clears throat> where we will dig into second Timothy two. And there, there really is a lot to discuss there. So make sure you guys read that so that you are prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at undaunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. The only donation or the only donation, the only, link we've got there is the donation link guys the only way we're able to pull off the forging table the only way we're able to do the stuff and create the content that we are creating for you is because we have donors and we're going to be moving in some other areas of content creation over the next couple of years and we want to make sure that you guys can get it in its full force and brilliance and one of the ways that you can do that and be a part of that is by hopping on board and being a donor. So go to undaunted.life backslash donate or just click on the link in the bio of this episode. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.